chapter nine of geographical reader europe by frank g carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b chapter nine the houses of parliament how england is governed put on your best clothes this morning we are to go through the fashionable parts of london we shall drive in the chief shopping sections take a turn in hyde park and later visit parliament and perhaps meet the chief officials of the great british empire we go in couples each couple taking a hansom a queer two-wheeled cab entirely open in front the driver has a seat fastened to the back of the roof and directs his horses with lines which are high over our heads we leave trafalgar square for a ride through regent street oxford and piccadilly the buildings are cleaner and better than farther down in the city and the stores are filled with fine goods of every description we stop here and there to buy presents or things we need on our tour and then go on into hyde park by the great statue of wellington cast from twelve french cannon some of which were captured from napoleon at the battle of waterloo how beautiful the park is the drives are through groves of magnificent trees and thick velvety lawns of the greenest green we go to the serpentine a long winding lake where before eight o'clock in the morning and after eight in the evening crowds of boys and men may be seen swimming and plunging about in the water the time for bathing is limited by the raising and lowering of a flag the park authorities setting aside an hour twice a day for the sport not far from the serpentine is rotten row where fashionable london rides and drives every afternoon the usual riding hour is from twelve till two o'clock when hundreds of finely dressed ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls may be seen on their spirited steeds walking trotting or galloping along after looking at the magnificent houses near hyde park we are driven on to the palaces of st james and buckingham two of the residences of the king of england where he sometimes holds his levees or receptions the palaces are enormous structures more like our great government department buildings at washington than ordinary residences they face st james park and each palace has a beautiful garden about it at the times of royal receptions richly dressed ladies gentlemen in uniforms trimmed with gold lace and servants in gorgeous liveries wearing knee breeches silk stockings and powdered hair may be seen going into the palaces then the mounted band of the lifeguards plays outside and gay carriages driven by coachmen wearing curled wigs and three-cornered hats dash through the streets the policemen keeping the crowds back from the roadway had we the proper introductions we might enter and be presented to the ruler of england we should probably find him only a man after all and if he should tell us just what his powers are we should learn that although he is a king he has little more authority over his people than the president of the united states has over us the government of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland is a limited monarchy that is its king can rule only as the constitution and laws prescribe the laws are fixed by parliament a body of men representing the people much like our congress parliament directs what the king shall do it directs just what taxes shall be collected how the money shall be spent and it makes all the laws for the people 
for this reason the english say they have a country as free as our own although ours is a republic but let us visit the houses of parliament they are in westminster palace a magnificent building covering more than twice as much ground as the capitol at washington situated on the north bank of the thames we call up to our cabman through the little hole in the roof to go through st james park and down whitehall street to the river we dismount in front of the palace but are stopped at the gates by one of the policemen on guard until we show him our pass from the american minister we find other policemen in the halls who wear uniforms and tall helmets and look very imposing the doorkeepers also wear uniforms and each of the messengers has a brass medal as big around as a teacup with a lion and unicorn upon it on his breast we are taken through room after room there are more than a thousand in the palace we visit the library and then go on into the house of commons and sit down in the galleries surrounding the great rectangular pit where the house meets the walls of the pit are of richly carved english oak darkened by age and the roof is composed of panels of stained glass through which the light comes cast your eyes into the pit there on those long cushioned benches sit the men who elected by the people really rule england nearly all are dressed in black clothes and each has a tall silk hat on his head or on his knees or on the seat beside him there are no desks and many of the members are writing on papers which they rest on their hats notice that man in the long black gown sitting in the pulpit at the end of the chamber how white his hair is and how curly it is done up in a queue at the back and it surrounds his rosy face and falls down on his breast still the man's face is unwrinkled as are those of the other white-haired men who were writing at that table below him they seem to be young men notwithstanding their hair you are right they are young they are the speaker and clerks of the house of commons and custom requires they wear black gowns and gray wigs as was done by judges and some other officials of our country in early days there a member rises to speak he uses a conversational tone and his fellows are quietly listening now he is growing excited his words stir up the whole house there are cries of hear hear and no no from all parts the speaker calls order three other members have jumped to their feet they cry out their objections and for a time there is quite a hubbub in the great pit below us ordinarily the house of commons is more quiet than our house of representatives but when important questions come up the members often lose their dignified ways and shout at each other but let us go into the house of peers where the chief nobles of the united kingdom have seats the english people are divided up into peers and commoners largely according to birth there are about six hundred peers and something like thirty-five million commoners the peers are of the five orders of nobility dukes marquises earls viscounts and barons there are also other orders whose members have only the titles of honourable and sir in england the eldest son usually succeeds to the rank of his father while the other children are only commoners although they sometimes by courtesy have minor titles we find the house of lords much like the house of commons save that it is more quiet and prosy 
there are about six hundred members some became members by birth some were appointed by the king others were elected for life or for shorter periods and some are bishops of the church of england leaving westminster palace we visit westminster abbey nearby to see the statues and memorials of the english monarchs military and naval heroes scientists and literary men we admire the monuments of the kings but are more interested in those erected to sir isaac newton the great philosopher to james watt the father of the steam engine and to such writers as addison goldsmith dickens and thackeray we stay some time in the poet's corner before the tombs or monuments of milton chaucer shakespeare and other great poets and also before the monument of longfellow who is as much loved in england as in our own country on our way back to the hotel we drive by the chief public buildings visiting several of them to learn more about the government we find that the king has his cabinet just as our president has but while our president need not act on the advice of his cabinet the king must act on the advice of his cabinet if it is approved by the house of commons each of the king's ministers has a great department with thousands of clerks under him we visit the treasury which has to do with the finances of the empire and then enter the great buildings which contain the home foreign colonial and indian offices where we get some idea of the enormous size and importance of the british empire the united kingdom is but a small part of the territory governed by the british people they have colonies on every continent and islands in almost every sea the colonies and the united kingdom make up the british empire which contain all told about eighty times as much land as great britain and ireland and altogether almost one-fifth of the land surface of the globe inhabited by about one-fourth of all the people upon it it is the greatest empire of the whole world and of all the world's peoples the english own the most land we might travel around the world landing only at english ports we could cross the atlantic to montreal and thence go by railroad to vancouver where there are steamers which would land us in hong kong an english island off the coast of south china from there we could steam on to singapore another english possession and thence north by way of rangoon in burma to calcutta the capital of british india from calcutta there is a railroad to bombay where other english ships would take us over the indian ocean to the suez canal stopping at aden a british port in arabia egypt which is under british protection would be on our left as we went through the canal and in crossing the mediterranean we should call at malta and go by the english rock of gibraltar out into the atlantic and thence northward to liverpool this tour would leave out the vast possessions of the british in africa and australasia as well as other important colonies including islands in the atlantic pacific and indian oceans these vast territories are all governed more or less from the colonial and indian offices in london although some of them such as new zealand australia and canada have parliaments of their own each colonial country has a great trade with great britain and does much toward making the english rank with ourselves as the greatest of the commercial and manufacturing nations we visit the departments of war and navy 
a large army is needed to keep so many people in order and to defend their many possessions the english must have warships to guard their enormous commerce and their gunboats are to be seen in all parts of the world we are more and more impressed with the greatness of the british empire as we go from building to building and from office to office in the postal department we learn something of the intelligence of the english from the vast amount of mail they send and receive we see that they must be thrifty from their savings banks which are connected with every post office and where one can deposit as little as twenty-five cents at a time many school children put their money into such banks and nearly all the depositors are poor people but their deposits amount to many hundred million dollars we ask about the telegraph and telephone systems which are managed by the government in connection with the post offices and are told that there are telegraph lines and telephones to all parts of the kingdom and also cables running under the channel to the continent and to most of the colonies we ask the cable clerk to send a message across the atlantic for us he gives us a blank and we each write a dispatch a few minutes later our words are flying through the wires uphill and down on their journey of two thousand and more miles over the bed of the ocean to nova scotia and thence through the land wires to our homes they will arrive there before we can reach our hotel and our parents will know we are safe happy and well End of chapter nine